It's great to have you here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dean. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, great to have you. We're starting a new series today called uh, The Table. As I was getting, you know, kind of ready for this, I was actually reminded of a, a moment uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, I was getting ready to, to drive down here. And I was, uh, I was about to leave my house. And as I was gathering my things, and I always bring my things with me on a Sunday in this, this brown bag I have. And, and I, was, uh, I was looking around, and I realized I could not find my wallet. And I was like, oh, I can't find my wallet. And I was, I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in. And, and, uh, and really, I was actually, I was really thinking of, of, of you all as a, as a church and thinking, if I don't have my wallet, I don't have money, I can't buy a coffee. And to be honest, it's the people who will suffer most in this deal. And, and I knew that to be true. And, uh, and I thought, oh, but I, I looked, I hunted, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this. Well, I looked as much as I could. And I finally realized I'm not going to find it. So I, I drove here. No wallet, no money. You know, brought my bag, set it down, you know, went through all day and, and went home. And uh, that afternoon, I'm like, okay, now I got more time. So I'm like, I'm retracing my, my footsteps. All right, where's the last time I had it? Okay, I remember we went grocery shopping. Uh, then we came home last night. I can remember having it there, and I had it there. And I'm sure I, I must have brought it in the house. I'm retracing. You know, how did this happen? I, I had it in the car. I can't find it now. Uh, you know, going through all the things that happened. I remember, oh, yeah, that's right. We came home, and, and our dog greeted us at the door and proceeded to run away. And then I had to go uh, chase him. That's right. That's right. Uh, maybe it's somewhere between here and the other half of the neighborhood where I found our dog. And, and I thought, so I'm, like, retracing steps as you do. No, no, it's not there. And I'm, I'm you know, now I'm cleaning the house. I, I can't find it anywhere. All, all week, I'm, like, uh, you know, for the whole week, I'm like the, the widow who's lost her coin. I'm turning everything over, searching for my lost wallet. I can't believe it. And I, you know, it gets to, uh, to, to Tuesday night, and our, our rubbish and recycling, we're going to get taken on Wednesday. And I'm thinking, you know what? This, I, I reckon this is what's happened. Probably we brought in all these groceries, we brought all these things, and we had this package someone had sent us, and I bet somehow it probably got mixed up in that. If it's in the rubbish or recycling, this is it. It's the last chance. If it's in there, it's going to be gone. So I go out. And I, uh, I, I go through all our recycling, I go through the rubbish, and, and it's like, oh, you know, I mean, it, uh, on the upside, it was sort of like a, a trip down memory lane of the last two weeks of life. You know, ah, that, was, that was a great meal, you know, that was, that was a really fun night. But listen, apart from that, it wasn't that great an experience. And, and so I'm, and all week long, so, and, and it wasn't there. After all that, after all my, my surgery, it wasn't there. You know, so all week long, it's all, it's just really making life, and I was so certain it would turn up. I didn't want to cancel anything. I was certain no one had stolen. I kept checking. No one's done anything yet. And, and all week long, though, it kind of made my life really complicated, because everywhere I'd go, I'm thinking, oh, I got to make sure I've got money. You know, it's not, you know, if I run out of petrol, what's going to happen? I don't, I don't have any, you know, and I don't normally carry cash, so I'm having to make a real effort to get some cash. It's just making, you know, life really, you know, kind of challenging for that week. And I got to, you know, uh, the whole next week, Sunday, and I'm, I'm again just thinking, oh, no more coffee. And I called Phil, I can't preach, you know, I just... <laughs> somebody take over and, and someone did I don't remember what happened after that no I, I got all the way through notice I got Sunday night I thought that's it I've cleaned the house has never been cleaner you know on the upside life's never been more organized I've not found the wallet I get to Monday and I, I told Lisa tomorrow I, it must be it's done I'll cancel the cards I can't keep living like this it's too you know and I, and I was getting ready to, to come to work again I grabbed my brown bag that I've been you know taking with me all these places and I, and I looked at it with this like longing feeling in my heart 
Like, I can remember what it was like when I would reach into you and, and just the wallet would be there and you grab it and you realize how much simpler life is, you know, when that's, and, I, and I just looked at it like, ah, I wish you were there and I opened it and sitting right on top of it is my wallet. Rejoice with me. I found it. I, I found my lost wallet. And I was so, so excited. And there it was. And my wife was, and I was like, Lisa, I found it. Rejoice with me. She's like, why? Where, where was your wallet? It was, it was in my, it was in my bag. <laughs> the, the, the bag. The bag. The one you take with you everywhere. The one. Yeah. Yeah. That, the bag. Yeah. Had you looked in the bag? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I did. I, I looked. I'm sure. I looked in the bag. I think I, I emptied. I think maybe I didn't empty it. Maybe I looked. I looked in the bag and I and she said, How could you have not known it was in the bag? The rubbish, the recycling, the, the cleaning the whole house. You never saw it in the bag. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about right. And uh and I just, this, the whole experience, the thing that blew me, I, 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 the thing that was crazy to me was like, in every one of these moments I'd had all week long, and the pain and the annoyingness of, oh, I gotta I'll wear some cash and I'm gonna find this and go to pay petrol. Everywhere I go, I was carrying it with me. I, I had it in my, it was there the whole time. It was going through life with me. I was, at any given moment, had I just looked properly, I could have saved myself a whole bunch of, of you know, aggravation and, 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 and you know, complications. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's okay. It was a nice experience going through the rubbish. And, um, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. This is the reason I mentioned this. This series, The Table, what we're going to be doing is looking at something that, t- the, the thing that was crazy to me about the world was like, it was actually there with me the whole time. It was actually pretty obvious in the end when I looked properly. It, was, it wasn't even really that hidden. Not, you know, I don't know why I missed it. I don't know how I missed it. But it was there. The table is what I will call a theme of the scriptures that is incredibly powerful. And it's right there through the whole Bible and sometimes we miss it. It's this theme that, that we're going to call generally the theme of the table. And when I talk about the table, this is uh, really when we think about this in the, in the scriptural context, it's really uh, a way of speaking about eating a meal together. It's not so much about a specific kind of size or type of table, but there is a, an incredibly profound reality of the importance of eating and drinking together in a meal right throughout the scriptures. Sometimes we think of, oh yeah, we had the communion meal earlier, the, the meal that Jesus kind of gave to us. We can oh yeah, of course, I know that's what. Uh, there is a bigger, broader understanding of, of where the table comes from and of the incredible power that I think we sometimes do not access because we miss what is right in front of us. And what we miss is that eating, drinking, brings what the Bible sometimes calls fellowship, relationship, communion has to do with this closeness. And, and, and it is actually at the core of, of what God wants for us, dreams for us, and what he is leading us toward. And the table, 
what, what I just want to say, the next four weeks, starting today and over the next, and then three more, four weeks, we're going to be looking at this theme of the table and how incredibly important the idea of eating meals together is throughout the scriptures in a whole bunch of directions. And my hope is that if you will track with us over this next four weeks, this is, we're going to start today. Uh, this is the, the, the kind of kick it off, but this is, this, you will, you'll miss the beauty of all this if you, if you only capture kind of one or two out of the four. We are going to look at how this theme, God's treasure through the Bible, and, it, and I just, I want you to be part of this because I would suggest to you it has the power to almost kind of transform what our walk with God looks like. And it's there. And it's obvious, and we carry it around with us all the time in the scriptures, but so often we miss the beauty and the power that is there at the table. So we're going to be diving into that. Be like, wow, I'm not sure where this is going. That's all right. You'll, you will pick it up as we go this next few weeks. The table, what it means to eat and drink together, to share a meal with one another, with God. And, uh, and so here's what we're going to do. So over this four weeks, we're going to be tracing this idea, this theme through the whole of the scriptures. Today, we're going to kind of deep dive into the Old Testament and look at how it's expressed there. Sometimes thinking New Testament, Jesus, of course, I know, he ate and drank with people all the time. There, there is a whole theme to this that runs through the Old Testament that's so obvious once you start to see it, but uh, sometimes we just, we just almost miss it. So here's where we're going to start. We are going to start today in the book of Exodus. And I want to encourage you right now, can we, uh, can we make a deal together that I, I will do my best to kind of hopefully uh, uh, bring you through some really, really cool stuff and, and try to uh, uh, help us all kind of grapple with this. But I, I'm going to need you to lean in and go, all right, I'm buckling my seatbelt because gonna, we're going to deep dive. We're going to go through like a, a lot of scripture today, a lot of ideas. But I need you to kind of lean and go, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll hang with you. Sometimes you'll be like, Dean, I'm not sure. I'm getting off this boat. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you know where you're going. I'm not sure what we're doing here. But if you will, can, will you do that with me? Will you lean in and say, we're just going to, we're going to go for this today. So we are going to deep dive. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 24. And we're going to start in this scene that takes place at Mount Sinai. And so in the, where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 24, Moses, uh, this is God. He is, God has used Moses to bring his people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt where they were slaves. He's rescued them, taken them through the Red Sea, done all these things. And now they've come to Mount Sinai where Moses is, is meeting with God. God is speaking to Moses, giving him kind of all the detail about what it's going to look like for the people of Israel to really, you know, really be his people. And, and, and so uh, we're going to pick up where God, he's actually been giving Moses a whole bunch of instructions. Uh, a few chapters of scripture, sometimes called the book of the law in it, is the, uh, the Ten Commandments. They're a part of that and a, and a whole bunch of things. And then in Exodus 24, we're just going to drop in on this scene. And, and this is one of those passages that how many people ever read the Old Testament and, and just kind of scratched your head at times? How many people experienced that? That's great. Some of you haven't. I have. I've done uh, uh, a lot of study, and yet still sometimes there's things in there uh, that you just kind of, whoa, what, what is that? And we're going to drop in on a spot that has a little bit of that. Exodus 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, up this mountain. Nate, you... Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, kind of the leaders amongst them. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. 
When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote everything down that the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. These aren't things that we normally do. And then Moses took half of the blood, and he put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Now, if these things don't make you just kind of go, this, this isn't kind of normal you know, I think sometimes, again, we go, oh, it's the Bible. It's all, but no, this is different. And it's different because it's a whole different culture, a whole different context. And if you're someone who doesn't know what to come to church and you're going, this is, whoa, that's right. It does feel like that. And, but we're going we're gonna to come back to this in a bit. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Again, if you are not someone who normally comes to church and read the Bible, uh, please know, it, it's okay if you're reading this and once again going, sprinkle blood on the people. Uh, I hope, uh, that you may be the first time you're just going, uh, I'm hoping we're not doing that later in the service. <laughs> and just, I... I wore a good shirt. I'm really, you know, this is, this is out of our culture and context. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel then went up. God invited them up, and they saw the God of Israel. This is amazing. Somehow they are seeing God. They're having this incredible experience. God, God's revealing himself. I mean, it, it's, they see the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. Now this is the best they can even do. They're, they're seeing something. It's revelation of God, and the best they can do is God. It's like this blue stone that's just pavement under his feet. Like this is just amazing, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They, they thought, you know, is something going to happen? You know, we, we sometimes, you know, they, they, they had seen this experience. You know, if you go near God, God's so great and powerful. And, you know, what happens when we as kind of weak, frail humans, when they get to go, God didn't raise his hand. Nothing bad happened to him. God did not raise his hand against these leaders, the Israelites. In fact, they saw God in his presence. And what did they do? And they ate and drank. Have you ever thought, if I could see God, be ushered straight into his presence, what would you do? You know, what would you think God would even want to do? I mean, what, like, whoa, just, you know, I, the thing that blows me away about this passage, these, th this moment, this is one, this is kind of this amazing juncture in Israel's history. These people get brought into God's presence, and what do they do? They eat, and they drink. It's like the, this, is, this is a table moment. God brings them to his table, and you're going to come into my presence, and we're going to eat, and we're going to drink together. How does this, how does this stuff even kind of fit together? I mean, we got blood and bowls and sprinkling it on people and putting it on an altar and, you know, animal sacrifice. Like, what is going on? And then, after all of it, they have, they have dinner together. Like, what is going on? Now, if we're going to understand these verses, 
Here's what we got to do. And this is where, this is where kind of the, the, the big picture has come. We got to step back and understand. And this is true of most things that you read in the Old Testament. If you ever read the Old Testament and just said, man, I do not get this. This is just like, what does that mean? What is going on here? The only way we can actually start to understand and wrap our minds is we got to step back for a minute and understand the big picture. The big picture of what the whole of the Bible is about. If we're going to understand this chunk right here, sort of in the somewhere between the beginning and the end, we got to understand the big picture. Do you know the big picture of the Bible is just so simply in so many ways that God is wanting to create a people for himself. God exists in this perfect triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To a degree, God is his own community in, in one person. It's mysterious. It's incredible. And God decides out of his overflow of his love to create mankind, man and woman, to share in his perfect, loving community. In fact, when God creates in the book of Genesis, he creates people. And I want you to see something about what happens when he creates them in the Garden of Eden. In, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us this. I mean, God's made the whole world. He's made people in his image. And he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, and I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. You know what I just think is amazing? Is that God creates people. And we're always going, well, what's, what's life all about? Well, God kind of gives these two big ideas right in the beginning of creates people. He's like, look, here, I made all this. You, watch over it. Look after it. It's my creation. I want you to rule over it. You're, you're in charge. Steward it. Look after it. And then the second thing he says to him, and everything I've made is yours to eat. Like food was high on the list of priorities going all the way back to creation. It's almost like God's like, this whole garden creation is like one big table I've set for you. I want you to rule over it. I want you to look after it. And I've given you all this food and it's yours. Eat of it, any of it that you want. And the, the incredible thing is, as you read through Genesis, we have time to go through the whole first three chapters. What you see is God is right there in the midst of this incredible garden he's created with people. There, there's even a phrase at one point that talks about how God was walking in the garden. He's going looking for, for Adam and Eve at this particular point, and he's calling out to them, where are you? You get this picture that there in this garden, there's this perfect relationship between God and people. They're just walking together. God's created them, and there's this incredible community, and they, and, and, and they, they look after his garden, and they eat from his garden, and there's just this incredible God is creating these people to share himself with and his love with and he's given them somewhere great to live and great food to eat. And then, of course, if you read through Genesis, what you realize the big picture tells us is that God then also gave him instructions. He said, you can eat everything except just this one tree. Don't eat from it. 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat of it, uh, you know, you will know, you know, good and evil. And, and we won't go into all of that today, but it just so clearly gives us a picture. You eat from this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to damage the whole relationship. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I need you to, be, to obey me and to walk in my ways. And I've given you all these things. But the, they decide, no, we're going to eat. We're going to disobey God. We're not going to listen to what he says. And we're going to eat from that tree. And of course, what happens is the whole relationship is broken. Sin enters the picture, and, and God then has to take them out of the garden and says, if they stay, they might live forever in this state, and we can't let that happen. And, he, and so he takes them out of the garden, and, and, and he begins a process. There's now a gap in the relationship, and God begins the process of bridging that gap and saying, once again, I want to know my people. In fact, in the book of Revelation, so that's the beginning, Genesis. And then the book of Revelation tells us, and here's where it's all going, and here's where it's going to end. And there's this great picture in Revelation 21 where, you know, all the Bible's kind of have all the different things in the story. And, and here's this picture God's given to John. He's writing it down. And he sees that there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Everything's going to get remade. It's going to go back the way it was meant to be. And he says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, this is where it's all going. Look. God's dwelling place, the place where God will live, is now among the people. No more distance. No more of God far. God will dwell among the people. He will dwell with them. That closeness, that intimacy, that relationship is restored. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is where it's all going. God wants people for himself. He wants relationship. He wants closeness. He doesn't want to be afar off. He's created us for himself, and he wants to dwell among us. You know, when Jesus was trying to picture this is where it's all going, what does it mean that we will dwell with God and he will dwell with us, and, 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 and what will that actually look like? You know, the picture that Jesus most frequently reached for to say this is where it's all going, when he would describe kind of that, that one day when, when, when we are in God's presence fully, no more distance, no more gap, God's remade everything, it's all new. You know what the picture is that he most often used? is a banquet, is a feast, is a table. In fact, he says, you know, this is just one among many. In, in Luke, he says, you know, many will come from all these different directions. We have that, that verse from Luke. You know, many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. It starts in a garden where you can eat from all this food, and it finishes with a feast where God will dwell among us, and we will be with him, and he will be our God. And it will be like the greatest meal you've ever been to. It will be the greatest table you've ever sat at. And it will be the greatest food you've ever had. It will be a banquet. It will be a feast. It will be like a wedding celebration. The table is at the very heart of what God is all about. Because God desires a people for himself. And he doesn't want to be distant. He wants to dwell among them. And he wants to, you just think about all the table means. God says, I want, to, I want to sit with you at the table. I'm going to prepare you the greatest feast you've ever had. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And we will meet at the table. Philip Yancey, the great 
Christian writer and, and journalist. He's written so many books, and he talks about how he's always tried to search for, how would I summarize the whole Bible? I mean, the Bible, you know, from Genesis and all the things that happen, all the way through Revelation. He's like, you know, how do you, and everything, would you, how would you summarize all this? He says, the best I ever thought, you know, the, the one sentence when people ask me, you know, what's the Bible really all about? He says, I say, the Bible is a story of how God gets his family back. You know, the Bible is a story of how God, who created people and loves them, how he brings them all back to himself. And how one day he wants to sit them all around a table once again. This is who God is. This is what he's on about. And, and, and I just think that if we understood how important the table, the relationship, the joy, the celebration, the closeness that comes at a table, if we understood this about God, we would understand so much more of, of his love for us of actually what life is about, of actually we could make some sense of some of those things in the Bible. Sometimes, well, what is even going on? If we understand this big picture of what God's on about and we understand the role of we will understand so much of what God is actually up to. In fact, so let's go back now. This is the big picture. If, if this is what God wants, fundamentally, from the time relationship was broken, what God wants is to get his people back together and around a table where he can dwell with them. Then what, in light of that, is happening in this scene we saw in the book of Exodus? With some moments and things in the maze, go, what, what, what's going on there? Well, the first thing we got to understand, so we got to understand this big picture, and there's one more thing I want us to understand before we come back to, Genesis, to Exodus 24. And it's the role of covenants. What was happening in Exodus 24 is a covenant. It's an agreement being made. Uh, and covenants were not just a religious thing. We think sometimes, oh, yeah, covenant, you know, that's a religious term. Or the covenant of marriage, that's a, you know, these covenants were part and parcel of what life was like when the Old Testament was being written. In fact, I want to just have a look so we can understand what a covenant's all about. And then we'll go back to Exodus 24. We're going to have a look at a covenant. And it's not a religious one, just covenant between two people. But it helps us see what covenants were all about. This one comes from the book of Genesis, and it's a covenant between two people, a guy named Laban and his son-in-law, Jacob. Now, Jacob, the backdrop to this story, Jacob was in love with one of Laban's daughters, wanted to marry her, and uh, her dad, Laban, said, well, if you want uh, my daughter, then you've got to work for me for seven years, and then you can, you can have her. You know, you thought your father-in-law was tough. You know, just this is how it starts for him. So Jacob, you know, not to be deterred, works for seven years for this man, Laban. And then he kind of tricks him. And he, and he had two daughters. And he gives him not the one he was in love with. He gives him uh, the other one. And Jacob doesn't kind of realize this. Kind of long story. But he realizes, wait a second. This is a, and he's like, what have you done? And he says, well, that's not the way we do things, right? If you want the daughter that you wanted, you're going to have to work another seven years. So now he's got to work. He's now got to work another seven. Now, this guy is obviously in love, though. And he works seven more years. Now, you get to the end of 14 years like that, and now she's his wife, but uh, let's just say there may be some friction that would develop. Can you imagine that? There, there might be uh, some friction in the relationship that's taking place there. And Jacob, in the midst of all this, feels like, not only am I working so hard, I've got these daughters. This guy's not treating me well. He kind of comes up with a way to help himself become more prosperous. Uh, Laban feels like, ah, I don't really feel great about this. Long story short, uh, Jacob's like, I'm taking off. He's kind of running for his life. His father-in-law is now coming after him. And we're going to drop in on a conversation that happens between the two, where it's kind of like that father-in-law, son-in-law conversation to figure out, oh, what are we going to do here? 
Here's, what, here's how it goes. Jacob's speaking here. He says, listen, this is him kind of airing his grievance. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, if, if God had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. You weren't going to give me anything. But God has seen my hardship, and he's seen the toil of my hands, how hard I've been working. And last night, he rebuked you, because Laban had this picture from God that he should leave Jacob alone. So Laban says, look, Jacob, the women are my daughters. The children are my children. And the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. And you kind of almost picture a little resignation. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine, about the children they have born? So come now. Let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. A covenant, it's, it's really like a deal. It's basically you're saying, here's going to be the deal between us. Here, let, this is how we'll relate to each other. He says, so he takes a stone, he sets it up as a pillar. He says to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones, piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Again, you'll be amazed. If you, are, you read through the Old Testament, you can't hardly go a few paragraphs at times without it coming right back to a table. So let's eat together. So they took stones, they piled them, they ate there. And, and uh, Laban called this pile of stones Jaguar, we'll call it Jaguar, no, Jagar, Jagar, Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galid. And those mean uh, witness heap, I, I believe it is. And Laban said, this heap, it's a witness between you and me. It's going to be the symbol of our agreement. And that's why it was called Galid. And it was also called Mitzvah because he said, may the Lord, so here's Laban, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives beside my daughters, great father-in-law moment, even though no one is with us, just remember that God is a witness between you and me. Now, if you've got teenage, teenage girls, if you're a father, I just got to say, like, just, this is a good passage to memorize. <laughs> Some guy wants to take your daughter, you just say it. You just say it like you say, listen, if you mistreat my daughter, even though no one is with us, Remember, God is a witness between you and me. And that's, it's all you need to say. Like, you don't, it's great. You don't say anything else. Oh, it's an awesome father-in-law. So fathers, there, there you go. That's just take that with your parenting uh, little piece today. Laban also said to Jacob, look, here's this heap. This is, here's this pillar. I've set it up between you and me. This heap is a witness. This pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and you will not go past this heap to my side to harm me. So this is the deal. Whenever you see this, just remember, I won't come past it to harm you. If I come, I'm coming in peace. If you come past it, don't come to harm me. You come in peace. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. We, we trusted all the God. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac, which is God, and he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country. And he invited his relatives to a meal. Table, food. We're going to make a deal. We're going to make a covenant. All right, let's make it. And then let's eat. And after they had eaten, they spent the night there. Now, the reason I, I, I just take us here for a minute is because what you see is this is what a covenant is all about. Covenants in the Old Testament, just in their culture, this is how it worked. Covenants had a few kind of elements to them. One, there was always promises or commitments that were made. You say, this is how it's going to work. You leave my daughters alone, and I won't bother you, and you don't bother. Let's, be, let's just live in peace with one another. Okay, 
These are the commitments. We'll both, we'll, we'll, we'll uphold this. There was often a sacrifice. There was often, you know, blood was shed. Covenants were serious things. Uh, if you made sometimes a covenant, you would actually cut uh, the animal you're sacrificing in half, this ancient Near East, and they would spread the pieces apart. You'd make your deal and say, okay, so here's the covenant, here's the deal. I won't bother you, or, you know, you could use this part of my land. I won't bother sheep. You'd make whatever deal. And then you would walk through it, and that was a way of saying, and if I don't hold up my end of this, may I be like this animal, you know? I'm, I'm staking my life on this. In fact, there's a great picture of how God does this with us in Genesis 15. And so there's often a sacrifice. This is serious. But then there was also often, they were followed by a meal. And the meal is what you could call a covenant meal. And it was, as we see with Jacob and Laban, it's like they make their deal. There's a sacrifice. Here's how it's going to work. And what do they do? They now say, let's eat. Relationships kind of been sorted out. We got our differences put behind us. Let's feast. That there is always, with covenants, that there is a, there is a sacrifice, there is a commitment. There is, and this is the piece we sometimes just miss. It's right there. It's right through the scriptures. You see it over and over. That after the sacrifice, after the restoration of it, there is a meal. There's a table. There's food. And the table is the place of kind of celebration, the joy, that relationship has been restored. So this is what covenants look like. And now we are going to come back uh, to our Exodus passage. This is the, so this is what covenants just look like in their culture. Now let's just watch what's happening in, in Exodus 24. What, what we see is happening, and we won't go through all these chapters, but beginning in Exodus chapter 20, as God meets with Moses, he's beginning to tell him, here's going to be the deal. This is what the commitment's going to be. I'll be your God, but here's, if you want to be my people, this is what you're going to do. And he begins to give him, uh, he gives him the 10 words, what we sometimes call the 10 commandments, but actually the, the, the literal translation is 10 words. This is just, these are words that kind of describe, if you're going to be my people, this is what your life will look like. And then he goes from there for the next three chapters in 20 to 23. He gives what's sometimes called the book of the law there. And he, and he gives all these details. And if you read 20 to 23 in Exodus, it'll be lots of stuff that you look at and be like, really, this is stuff that's important? But he's helping them see in their context what it looked like to love God with all their heart. And so he gives them, so here's all the commitments. Here's what it all looks like. And then we pick it up in Exodus 24. And, and let's, we're going to have a reread of it. Exodus 24, and we'll just watch what happens in this incredible picture. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and the other leaders. You know what's amazing about this is God is the clear initiator of this covenant. Uh, and the covenant between Jacob and Laban, that was the kind of covenant that exists in our culture that was like between equals. So there's different kinds of covenants. Sometimes it's kind of two people on level playing field saying, hey, you don't come your way. I won't go my, you know, let's just figure this out. We're equals here. There's another kind of covenant that would take place where you had a ruling kind of person who would agree to make a deal with someone who was more or less powerless or far less power. This is that kind of covenant. And you can tell God initiates, says, you come up to me. This is a covenant God is initiating with these people. And he says, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must co not come near, and the people may not come up with him. You know what's amazing about that? A lot of people, you know, kind of say, you know, the thing about all the Old Testament is, is that all of it points to Jesus. And even in Moses coming up alone, there's this almost foreshadowing of, you know, one day there will come one 
one who can intercede on complete behalf of the people, that will do it once and for all. But Mo, so Moses alone goes up. And when Moses went and he tells the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. This is that agreement. Okay. All the rules, all the laws, all the regulations, all the things God has said. All right. We will do it. We're in. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. And he got up early the next morning. And he builds an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he sets up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. This is going to be done on behalf of the whole nation. And then he sent young Israelite men. And they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings. There is a sacrifice. There is always in these covenants. There is, uh, there, there is this, and it's mysterious. And I'm not saying we can all even understand the depth of this. But without the, the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us we, we cannot come to God. And this is where the sacrifices come from. So they, they offer these offerings. And, they, and then it says Moses takes half of the blood, puts it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. So he takes the blood and, and he puts it on the altar. And it's like, this is going to be the blood of, you know, this altar represents, you know, God and his place in this. And he puts the, the blood there and he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded again, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. We're in for this. And so then Moses takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people. He says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And when he sprinkles them with that blood, this is that way of saying, they're saying, we agree to this. We are a part of this covenant that's being made where God will be our God and we will be his people. We're in for that. And so Moses and the other leaders, they go up, they see the God of Israel. And then verse 11, God doesn't raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites because of the blood that was shed. They're able to come into God's presence. And they saw God and they ate and drank and they celebrate. They've, they've made a covenant with God and he will be their God and they will be his people. And that is cause to sit at the table and celebrate. Even in the Old Testament where we sometimes picture God's this, you know, fire and brimstone and distant. And no, God always wants one thing. He wants to bring his people around a table and he wants to be present with them. And they eat and drink this covenant meal in the presence of God. See, the table. I think when we realize this, that God wants to meet us at the table. He, he doesn't want to be a, a distant, far-off God. He doesn't want to just meet us in, in the religious pockets of our life. He wants to meet us at the table. His goal, his aim, what he is all about is how can I get back together around the table with my people? And all of the things we read and the sacrifices and the pieces of the Old Testament, they are all, and, and the laws, they're all about God saying, how can I bring you back into my presence? Because he's a good God and he's a holy God and he's a perfect God. And he's so great and awesome and powerful that as sinful people, we can't just think we can casually walk right up to him. But he reaches out to us and says, I will make a way for you to come into my presence so that we can sit together once again around the table. Sometimes I think we miss, we miss in our walk with God that this is what it's about. We can get so caught up in all the, am I, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Am I following all of this? Am I following all that? God did, I, you know, and, and, and there's a place for introspection and reflection and all these things and asking, do our lives measure up to it? But sometimes we lose the big picture that God wants to sit with us around the table. 
And, and, and how much does it transform our lives to see the, the, all of the things the scriptures speak to us, not as, well, boy, I better do this or do that or all, but no, 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 this is God inviting you into life, into being his people. You know, th this is the last thing I'll say and, and I'll wrap up for today. And this is just trying to help us get started understanding how big a deal the table is to God. But you know, when God gives all those laws in, in Exodus, just before, just before uh, they, they come up to commit to this covenant, do you know that if he actually gives his requirements, three festivals, three banquets that are to be celebrated every year as the people of Israel. Three festivals. Three times he wants them to throw a giant party every year. Do you know, I, I guess I, I, the thing that blows me, I, the, the reason I, I say this to you, you know, that I think the table has so much power to transform our lives is because I, I think God has way more interest at times, it seems, in joy and celebration than you and I do. And he wants to invite us into this life, not of religious rules and regulations, but of a life at the table. A life where we're living in his presence and where there's food and it's actually all of life's together. And, and I just think for many of us, what I hope over this next four weeks is that understanding God's invitation to you at the table will be something that actually releases you into a more joyful and a more full and a more celebrative life than you've ever known before. Because that's what God wants for you. I'm going to pray for us this morning.